In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and I'm joined today by political insider Patricia Murphy and the great Maya Prabhu, the AJC Statehouse reporter who is an expert, whether she wants to be or not, in redistricting. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Greg. Hey, Patricia. We were all at the Capitol earlier this week as state lawmakers finalized their redistricting maps. This congressional map represents Georgians fairly, and it is a map that we are proud of. It is not gerrymandered, but it does respect the principles that we adopted at the beginning of this process. That's Republican Representative Bonnie Rich from Swanee. The vote went along party lines, which meant Democrats aren't happy at all. House Minority Leader James Beverly said this to Channel 2. Georgia's changed. And we need to respect the people and the right of the people to choose the representative of their choice and not have politicians play games uh, with who they select. So, Maya, help us break down what happened. Republicans redrew the lines to preserve GOP control of the legislature. Lucy McBath winds up in a virtually impossible district for Democrats to win. Republicans will, what, lose some legislative seats but should easily maintain control. Was any of this sort of a surprise to you? No, no, not much of a surprise. Um... You know, I feel as though Republicans took a pragmatic approach toward um, dealing with population shifts, you know, the the state diversifying uh, the population, centering more in urban areas and the, the loss of population in rural areas. And so Republicans obviously want to stay in power as long as they can. And it, you know, everyone that I talked to leading up to this redistricting session said it made more sense for them to pick the seats that they knew they could hold on to and try to hold on to throughout the decade versus trying to gain as many seats as they could. Now, um, Patricia, me and you went up to Dawsonville earlier on Thursday just to see the new sixth district because um, Lucy McBath has represented a district that stretched from East Cobb to North DeKalb for the last two terms, but Republicans made it, as I mentioned earlier, impossible pretty much for a Democrat to win. And now it stretches from Sandy Springs all the way up through Forsyth County to Dawson County. So not just the exurbs, but rural North Georgia. Um, it is a dramatically different district, and it's going to set up a very tough decision for Lucy McBath. 
Yes. Well, I think the hard decision for Lucy McBath will be what other district should she try to run in? I think it's pretty obvious the way that the new sixth district has been drawn by Republicans. Um, this is not going to be a place where she or any other Democrat is really going to have much of a chance. And so when you and I went up to Dawson County today, I went up just to see, so, you know, I knew it was different. I'm like, how different are we talking? Um, Donald Trump won 85% of the vote in Dawson County. Like it, it's not even kind of close. It is just unbelievably conservative. And um, that's the most conservative portion of the district, obviously, the new district. Um, but they also shaved off uh, the most uh, liberal and progressive portions, the Democrat, uh, the uh, DeKalb County portion of that sixth district. So it's just made it enormously more favorable for Republicans. And um, so for McBath, her decision really is just going to be which one of her sitting Democratic colleagues does she want to challenge in a primary in 2022? And that is going to be a tough decision. Um, but I think as far as the new sixth is, um, when you look at the maps on the state level, those state legislative races, I do think Republicans really give a, a nod to reality. They drew districts where Democrats will have new opportunities. Um, that's just not the case at the congressional level. It's going from eight to six to nine to five, favoring Republicans in a 50-50 state. And I think Democrats, of all of the changes, that's the one that feels like the most um, ridiculous. Yeah, Maya, I mean, th we, let's talk about legislative maps in a second, but the congressional maps first, um, they drew the ninth, the, sorry, the, the sixth district uh, far more Republican friendly. At the same time, they decided to make the seventh district, which, which Carolyn Bordeaux represents, uh, far more Democratic friendly. I mean, this is a basically a lock for Democrats um, to win. Um, but it also causes Carolyn Bordeaux some headaches because she won a, one of the most competitive districts last cycle in the nation by just a few hundred votes um, by being a centrist Democrat. Well, that same centrist knack that helped her win a very competitive uh, uh, a primary, uh, sorry, a very competitive general election will now be a liability for her in a super blue Democratic primary, and so she, uh, her, her campaign is girding for a potential primary challenge from Lucy McBath as well, and she knows that she's she's got no free walk, even though this Democrat, this 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 district is now far more Democratic. Yeah, you know, she's made a name for herself, I would say, even nationally as being a, a centrist. And um, a lot of the more progressive Democratic voters um, were, if I'm remembering correctly, kind of shifted out of what is currently Lucy McBath's district and over into um, Carolyn Bordeaux's district. And so with, you know, you, you've heard this over and over. I've heard this over and over throughout the debate the past few weeks is that when you make these districts that are not very competitive, you send people to their corners in order to be elected and therefore they govern to their base versus governing to all of their constituents. And so that, you know, if that district is as blue as it as it looks, that's going to be a problem for Carolyn Bordeaux. Yeah, Maya, while we're talking about that, let's talk about the legislature because um, Republicans redrew the lines to actually lose some seats in the state house, um, certainly, and, and potentially in the state senate. And there's a few legitimately swing districts that are completely up for grabs that you know might favor one party or the other a little bit, but it really could come down to the candidates themselves. 
Um, but at the same time, even in doing so, they still drew the districts overall to preserve Republican um, Republican majorities. This seemed to be a mix of pragmatism because they knew that legal challenges um, uh, could surface, but also um, a nod to the reality that an emerging, um, more diverse population of Georgians um, is 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 rising. Yeah, definitely. You know, we saw in the House, um, I believe it's uh, they gave up six uh, gave up. You know, there are six seats that were leaning more Republican that are leaning more Democratic now. Um, I think Speaker Ralston believes that he might be able to hold on to some of those for his caucus. Um, but and and I we know that he's willing to raise the money and spend the money necessary to keep people in his caucus. Um, so, you know, that's on that House side. In the Senate side, um, they kind of did a, a little bit of a flip flop. They they added two districts that seem to be they move them out of rural parts of the state where they're losing residents and where also the senators who are currently in those seats are running for statewide races and won't be coming back into Metro Atlanta, which, you know, seemingly should be more Democrat friendly. But then they took a district um, that has gone, been Democratic for the past two um, election cycles um, and made it much, took it from a majority minority district and made it a majority white district that um, who the woman who is in there right now, Senator Michelle Au, um, is the you know Chinese American and the first Asian American woman to serve in the Senate. And a lot of people brought up the fact that it seems as though the Republican majority, Republican leadership were kind of targeting this Asian American woman in the Senate who just got elected last year. Yeah, Patricia, let's be honest. She is a rising star, right? Um, she is, she's already made a name for herself as one of the leading uh, health experts. She's a physician. Um, she already has a, a prominent social media following. Uh, but at the same time, when Republicans are looking at some, you know, potentially ripe territory for the taking, they're looking at, at, at sort of that area around um, North Fulton, Gwinnett County. Um, so maybe some Republican leaders felt like it was a twofer. They, they could try to make it much, they could try to knock off a, a, a Republican a, a nemesis while flipping that district. Yeah, I'd heard uh, the suggestion that maybe Senator Al was being targeted um, because she's a woman and it would be easier to beat her. Um, and I think really the opposite is true. She is incredibly sharp. I mean, she hands it to the Republicans during um, floor debate. She is a really tough questioner, very aggressive questioner during um, committee hearings. Mm -hmm. And um, she's just a really formidable opponent, um, even inside the legislature. And so I think um, if there was a single person that they could have uh, made life a little bit more difficult for, um, I think Michelle Al is really the person that would be um, the one they would like to sort of take out of uh, the equation for a little bit. Um, now, history has shown us that even uh, when uh, members are targeted, uh, Republicans have been targeted by Democrats in the past, particularly Newt Gingrich. You can redraw somebody out of their district. You can make it harder to get elected in that district. But if somebody really wants to be the, in the arena, they're going to stay in the arena. So I do not think that this will have mm -hmm. been 
the last we hear of <clears throat> Michelle Ao. And she may even be able to pull off a win in this district. We'll just have to see. That's a very good point, Maya. I mean, Michelle Ao, from all indications, continue will, will, will contest this district. It's not a situation like Lucy McMath, where the district is drawn for it to be basically impossible for a Democrat to win. And in Lucy McMath's case, she's also not throwing in the towel. She's making it very clear that she wants to stay in Congress. She's just not saying which seat she'll stay in, which means to me that she is almost certainly gonna, going to challenge Carolyn Bordeaux. But you're also seeing all sorts of um, shuffling going on. Um, Josh McLaurin, a state representative from the Sandy Springs area, has already kind of raised his hand saying, hey, I'm going to run for this open state Senate seat. Beth Moore on Gwinnett is also raising her hand about a potential state Senate run. So um, these redistricting also opens doors um, for some lawmakers from both parties. Yeah, you know, those, you know, like I mentioned, those two new Senate districts, give opportunities for for Democrats, not just House members, but, you know, Democrats um, across the metro Atlanta area who are interested in, in, in getting into politics. Um, you know, that's two more Democrats in the metro Atlanta area than we've had represented before in the Senate. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see who all raises their, their hand and, and steps up to the plate to... Um, go after what could be very um, contentious primary races um, next spring. Well, we're going to take a quick break and bid farewell to Maya, who is on deadline for a story (laughs) that you will, by the time you hear this, be able to read in the AJC. Maya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with Patricia Murphy. And if you like Georgia politics and have not subscribed to the Jolt newsletter, get that done right away. Patricia, Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, and myself collaborate each and every day and night to compile the most in-depth tip sheet for Atlanta and Georgia politics. It's one of the many benefits you get if you subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And in the Jolt, we've been writing for weeks that we've been hearing more and more whispers about David Perdue challenging Brian Kemp. I don't think these are whispers anymore. This is what David Perdue told Martha Zoller of WDUN Radio in Gainesville about taking on the sitting governor. Well, Martha, the fact that your phone is blowing up and my phone is blowing up tells us something. Um, we have a divided party in Georgia right now. Forget about me. Uh, it's divided. Um, and they feel like that a lot of people feel like that People in power haven't fought for them and, um, you know, and caved in to a lot of things back in 2020 that didn't have to be done. 
Uh, so we have linked to the full interview from WDUN in the Political Insider blog on AJC.com. But Patricia, this to me seemed like a preview of what to expect if David Perdue does enter this race. Yes, we knew that um, David Perdue was going to be on Martha Zoller's show. We were told he would probably be talking about China and U.S. policy toward China and any other news of the day. What could that be? Um, but then by the end of that interview, my goodness, he sounded like a primary candidate to me. I mean, and he also sounded like a totally revamped 2.0 David Perdue, someone very aggressive, a very far to the right, very Trumpy almost. Um, and it really sounded like um, kind of the contours of a primary challenge against Brian Kemp. Yeah, he went on to say that Republican leaders, he didn't mention Brian Kemp's name, but it was it was very implicit that he was talking about Brian Kemp, um, were had caved to Democrats in the 2020 election. Um, he didn't talk much about Donald Trump, but what he did allude to is that he has the former president's support, which even at his rally, last rally in Georgia, um, President, former President Trump said, David, when you're running, basically egging on David Perdue to challenge Brian Kemp. And what we've already seen is Governor Kemp is taking this threat very, very seriously. He is out there racking up endorsements, touting, you know, everyone from local officials to to, to high-profile state legislative leaders who have backed him. He's talking about his, his fundraising uh, uh, successes. He is touting conservative policies. He's doing everything he can to try to head off a Dave or Purdue challenge. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, you and I get notices every day of the 107 sheriffs who have come out for Brian Kemp, the 232 local county commissioners of various counties have come out for Brian Kemp. Anything and everything they can to show some kind of momentum on the Republican side for Brian Kemp. Um, he's also coming out almost daily, it feels like, with a new factory that's being built, new manufacturing in Georgia, any new jobs coming out in Georgia. Um, and then he's also really leaning into, um, in a way he hasn't a lot lately, really leaning into the question of election integrity, quote unquote, um, and came out uh, requesting or calling for an I believe, an investigation of an audit of Fulton County. Um, and I think he is doing everything he can not to leave his un, his right flank uncovered. And that's uh, he's certainly taking it very seriously, um, not just because it would be a real danger to him, but I think it's just downright offensive to him that uh, another top flight Republican would be dangling this primary challenge out there against him at a time when um, it's just really the last thing he needs. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because his campaign has said on the record, they view it as a betrayal if David Perdue were to run. Perdue endorsed him in 2018 and said all sorts of nice things about him going into the 2021 cycle, you know, this past year. And things kind of hit ahead, uh, came to a, a fell apart between those two men um, in the run up to the 2021 runoffs, uh, where Donald Trump started increasingly attacking Brian Kemp and Brian and, and David Perdue kept on increasingly keeping Brian Kemp at arm's length. And, you know, we, we saw firsthand how the battle lines are already being drawn. Patricia, you tweeted um, a, a quote from David Perdue above a, a, an article about that WDUN interview. And Jeff Duncan responded in kind, uh, basically saying that if you focus on Donald Trump and his lies about election fraud, you get Democratic victories. Well, David Perdue responded to that in a pretty scathing manner. 
Yeah, I mean, my Twitter feed was going was absolutely blowing up, and it's because these two high profile Republicans were fighting on my Twitter feed, which was crazy. And really um, using, again, like getting back to sort of Trumpy language, uh, David Perdue said to uh, to Jeff Duncan, okay, Brandon, you know, sort of writing him off um, and saying that uh, the only thing that's not uniting the, um, the Republican Party is the refusal to really dig into these questions um, about election integrity and get, you know, everyone get on the same page. And um, I, I just don't, quite understand where David Perdue goes with this reasoning. He's saying that he wants a united Republican Party, but is also threatening to challenge the sitting Republican governor. Um, He believes, he says he has polling that shows, um, or his team rather, has polling that shows that he's the only person who could uh, beat a Democrat, uh, particularly Stacey Abrams um, in 2022. Now, Brian Kemp's team believes the exact opposite, that he's the only one who can beat um, Stacey Abrams in 2022. Um, And then you have in between them a whole bunch of Republicans who really do not want to have to pick sides. They just want somebody who's going to win. um, now, who that is, is really going to be a matter of uh, of intense debate going forward. And the beauty of it is we still don't have a Stacey Abrams candidacy. So they're all talking about who can beat Stacey Abrams without her in the race yet. We, we do expect her to jump in that race, but she is not a announced candidate yet. And, you know, we're, but what we're already seeing, and this might be egging her on even more to run, is that the promises of total war, um, both the Kemp camp and the Purdue camp have all said this will be a knockdown, drag out fight. It'll be scorched earth. All those words that will end up weakening the eventual GOP nominee. Well, we're already seeing a glimpse of of what that attack could take. That's exactly right. Um, But it makes me want to put myself in Stacey Abrams' shoes and think it makes her both want to get into the race more because it's so enticing to see these two Republicans just destroy each other in the process, but then also just kind of sit back at the same time and say nothing, do nothing, let those two um, high-powered Republicans just fill the vacuum of news right now. So it gives her a lot of breathing room to just sit back and let them really go at it. Um, And she doesn't really have to do a thing except sit back and uh, continue to make her decision, uh, let the fundraising money roll in um, for whichever group she's raising for these days, and um, just let let these two people do her job for her right now. Um, Democrats almost couldn't have scripted it better. It is almost the exact same thing that happened for Raphael Warnock in 2020, when there were two very strong Republicans really fighting it out. And they those two Republicans just didn't have the bandwidth to also go after Warnock at the same time. So another Democrat would love to step into that very similar situation next That's year. That's a really good point, Patricia. And, and people always say, oh, what about Virginia? When a Republican uh, won, flipped a, a solidly blue state in the gubernatorial contest, what does that mean um, for, for Stacey Abrams? Well, that's that's one of two big main differences. The first is that Georgia's electorate is much more diverse than 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 Virginia's. There's there's far more African American voters than there are in Virginia, where there's a more white liberal Democratic base. But the second is, in Virginia, Republicans didn't have to worry about a civil war, whereas here that is already going on. Whether or not David Perdue gets in the race or not, there continues to be a Trump-driven civil war among Republicans with the former president saying that he would have wished Stacey Abrams had won in 2018. So that is a dynamic that that, that Glenn Youngkin and, and, and his allies did not have to worry about in Virginia this past cycle. 
Yeah, there there's so many differences from Virginia. There there is no there was no incumbent Republican governor, no incumbent governor at all in Virginia. It was essentially an open seat. And then um for the Democrats, Stacey Abrams is just really a totally different kind of candidate than uh Terry McAuliffe, really dynamic, um, really, really strong um in the state, really strong ground game that she built and helped to build um on top of uh, what was already put in place by other Democrats. So it's a uh, it just feels like a different race. I understand why people want to make the comparison, but Georgia just feels like it's very un special, unique, triple-headed beast these days, which is really fun for us to cover. I like that triple-headed beast, and it's a beast that is not going away. That is about all the time we have for today's episode, but we need your help to grow the podcast, spread the word, rate, review, follow, subscribe, share, reach out to Patricia and I uh, with feedback, with comments, with all that good stuff. And if you missed it, it has been an incredibly busy week on the Politically Georgia podcast feed. Check out Tia Mitchell's special roundtable for Monday to get the political perspectives of black women, especially when it comes to the Atlanta mayor's race and the statewide contest. Make sure you listen to that. And our show from Wednesday, breaking down the first televised debate in the runoff for Atlanta mayor. We will have a lot more coverage of the race to City Hall next week. Happy Thanksgiving. So we are not shutting down for the holiday because politics in Georgia never rests. Georgia, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Greg. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,